So we've been thinking, haven't we, for five, six weeks, something like that, I should probably know, uh, about trying to get our heads around what this thing is. Jesus came to give us life in all of its fullness, life to the full. So what does that mean? And as we've been diving into different verses in John chapter 10 where this phrase comes, we've been seeing that it means different things. There's lots of different aspects to it. I'm going to do something that I'm usually rubbish at, which is a quick recap before we dive in today. We are, as Jesus' followers, as part of his flock, we are fully known. Jesus calls you by name to follow him. It matters that you are here. You're not a number or a statistic. You're not here to fill up a pew. You're here because you're you, and God is thrilled with that. We're fully known. And we are fully loved. It's the most amazing thing that you can discover in the universe that the person who knows you best loves you the most. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, that's it. That's the word of God for you today. The person who knows you best loves you the most. That sounds like life in all of its fullness to me. On top of that, we are fully secure in him. Jesus promises us here that the the thief, the robbers, they won't get to us. We're not going to go after uh, those kind of things because we've come to know Jesus, to recognize his voice. We're secure with him. We have full access to all that is the Father's in Jesus. Full access to his guidance. I'm getting excited this morning. I don't know you guys. To his, to his guidance, to his word, to his love, to his grace, to his spirit, to the deep resources of his kingdom. We have full access, each and every one of us. We're as close to God as we want to be. Wow. Life in all of its fullness. And as Andy was reminding us two weeks ago, I think it was, we have full protection. There is a thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but we are held by the one who has come that we might have life in all of its fullness, all of its abundance, all of its flavor, all of its color. This is good news, right? Yeah, this is who you are. This is where you are if you're following Jesus today. And if, you, if you're not, it's a prayer away. It's just one prayer away. So we're going to dive back into this passage, this amazing passage John chapter 10. If you're you're getting used to hearing it, you're going to hear it this Sunday, and then we'll finish the series next Sunday. So we'll move on, I promise, after that. But here we go. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep out by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling him. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who've come before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The reason the man runs away is because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's something we um, need to talk about. It's probably something that you don't want to talk about, especially if you're from Wales today, but how many people saw the match yesterday? You saw it. How many people didn't see it? Yeah, don't. don't you don't. It's not, it's not pretty. It's not. We, we lost to, you know, undoubtedly a great team. I think it's been 69 years since we've beaten them. So they're a, they're, they're a good team. The horrible thing was we didn't even play that badly. We played quite well, really. But we were just outplayed, outpowered, outmatched. It was, it was a sad thing. And after the match, I kind of felt like... Well, like a Welshman feels after Wales has lost quite so bad. How many people felt that yesterday? Yeah, bless you. I feel you. Feel, feel your pain. And then after the match, a guy was being interviewed, a guy who'd been given the man of the match, who unsurprisingly was an all-black. Uh, and uh, he was being interviewed about it, and they said, oh, you must be so honoured, you must be so pleased about how they played. Did people see this interview? He comes out with this. Oh, it's just the Holy Spirit working in me and, and around me. I just feel so blessed to be, to be and be able to do this. Uh, for a moment, there was like real confusion. I'm like, this guy is my enemy, and yet he's my brother. What's going on? <laughs> One of those really odd moments. Do you have those moments in your life when you suddenly get a glimpse that this church that we are part of is so much bigger than we thought? so much bigger and so much more powerful and so much more active than we could possibly have imagined. There was a lovely thing about it. kind of felt, do you remember um, Eric Lydell, uh, Chariots of Fire, who once said, God made me fast, and when I run, I can feel his pleasure. It kind of it felt like one of those moments. And I went from feeling quite down to suddenly feeling quite uplifted, quite proud that he just said it with just confidence and just this naturalness. He wasn't trying to preach or put anyone else down. He was like, well, 
It's just how God's made me. It's just the Holy Spirit at work within me. And I found myself going from being down in the dumps to punch in the air, saying, great, this is good. It's a good day. <laughs> it's a good day. What we're part of is so much bigger than we could possibly imagine. It's dangerous, isn't it, to come to think that our world is the world. That our life, how we live, how we think, how we see, how we talk, is life. Is how everybody lives and talks and is. And it's just not true. It's really dangerous to think that our church is the church. It's so much bigger. The feeling that I felt listening to this guy uh, just very, very briefly share something about his faith was similar to, do you remember in lockdown when all the different churches came together and sang the blessing? Remember this? Incredible. still on YouTube if you want to just type it in, the UK blessing. And people from right up and down the country, people of all different shapes and nationalities and, and sizes came together. And right in the corner, there was a little sort of line that just said where each person was from. And there were people from Anglican churches and free churches and Pentecostal churches and and Baptist churches. There was a group from the Salvation Army singing on it. There was a a group from the Catholic Church singing on it. Uh, And yet for this one occasion, this one moment, people from different denominations with different churchmanship and different understandings singing one song together. It does something to you to remember we are part of something so much bigger. Our world is not the world. Our church is not the church. We've been thinking about these amazing words of, of Jesus for, for weeks now and been trying to get our heads around what it means to be sheep in Jesus' care. And hopefully, we've, we're gaining a deeper and a richer understanding of it because if I'm honest, I've grown up around sheep being a Welshman, and it doesn't sound like an attractive prospect. But what Jesus is describing sounds so dynamic, so living. Sheep who know his voice, sheep who are being led by him to to pasture and and safety, people who are being given life in all of its fullness. I can sign up for that. He describes this place, this fold, the word that he uses is actually literally, an, a, 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 the, a, the word for fold is literally an open air space. It could be used of sheep folds. It could also be used of a courtyard outside of a palace. We're not just sheep, we're the king's sheep. And as he's been talking about this for a while, he gives the listeners, the disciples, the followers, a little glimpse into this thing. Okay, so you're part of this here now but you're part of something so much bigger. He says, I have other sheep that are not part of this sheep pen, not part of this place. I must bring them also. Now, interestingly, we read this in our sort of nice, neat English translation. I must bring these also. But the word there for must is I'm implored to. Some of the older translations says it behoves me. It's on me. This is something I have to do with my life. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. 
Jesus, for the original hearers, would have been echoing words which were kind of familiar to them. Words that God had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. There's a time when Isaiah is, is trying to open the people up to this whole thing about they were meant to be a blessing to all nations through them. All nations of the world were meant to know the blessing, the presence, the word of God uh, among them. And at one point, God, it seems to me, gets quite frustrated and says, listen, if a foreigner who binds himself to me, loves me and follows my commands, comes to my house, their sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. I'm far more interested in their passion than their postcode. And he says this, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. It might sit in Jerusalem, but it's not for Jerusalem. It's, it's for everyone. The sovereign laws declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. And those words in the Hebrew are almost sort of echoed yeah, in the words that Jesus uses in the Greek. I have other sheep also that I must if you're going to follow me, Jesus says, you might as well know this is bigger than just here and just now. I find it really interesting, the, the phrase that Jesus uses there. Uh, they've got other sheep that aren't part of this place, and I must bring them also, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. It's not like, right, I'm going to leave you guys to carry on here, and I'm going to go start something over there and never the twain shall meet. It's no, they're going to be part of this. And you're going to be part of that. One flock and one shepherd. When I was um, training for ministry a while ago now, nearly 20 years ago, actually almost literally 20 years ago, scary thought, um, I was training up in London. And there were two churches that we were really keen to visit while we were up there. And I, I won't name them for obvious reasons. But it kind of places we were really excited to get to. You're all wondering now, aren't you? Where was it? There were places we were really keen to get to. Uh, and one place we went to, and we found out that it was communion that morning. And so, I'm not joking, a deacon from the church came up to us and said, um, are, you a, are you a member of a Baptist church? And so we said, yes, we're training for Baptist ministry at the college, not far from here. Okay, great. Have you got a letter from your church secretary to prove that you're a member so you can have communion with us? Well, we didn't stay. It was, it was quite clear that we weren't welcome there. Another place that we went to, is a place that's well known for mission and activity, we walked in and some people started to walk towards us to welcome us and then saw some friends that they knew and dashed off to talk to them instead. And for the whole time we were there, nobody spoke to us and we just ended up leaving. It's interesting, isn't it, how quickly our church can start to feel like the church. Our world can start to feel like the world. And I want to say to anybody here today that if anybody has made you feel unwelcome in church, unwanted or uninvited, they cannot do that under Jesus' name. I've got other sheep, Jesus says. I must bring them. And there will one day be one flock. And no letter from a church secretary is going to be part of that because 
It'll just be part of this. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know the one who has laid down his life for you? You follow in him. That's the only thing that will matter on that day. A house of prayer for all nations. I was thinking this week about this image of being part of, of one flock. And in some ways, some human images that, that we use, they're powerful and they're helpful, but, but they're limited, aren't they? They can't quite capture the whole picture. And sometimes when you think about a flock of sheep, you just think about sort of, it's quite uniform, isn't it? It's quite normal. You just see this sort of field with little bits, like a Bob Ross painting, and little bits of white uh, here and there. And yeah, there's some, there's some sheep I couldn't really tell them apart. A shepherd could, I guess. Uh, but sometimes we think of it in that way. And sometimes when we think about our unity, it can feel a little bit like that. That being united might just mean becoming like what already exists. Just, just being sort of uniform, really. But I want to show you something that's really come home to me this week. I don't know if you know this, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God sat down and planned the planets. I'm going to make me a universe. And there was nothing, but I'm going to make something, and it's going to be good. And so he speaks into the darkness, let there be light. Good, you passed test one. That's good. Page one of the Bible. Let there be light, and there was light. And then God separates the light from the darkness, and he calls the light day, and he calls the darkness night. But then it says... There was evening, there was morning, the first day. So there's darkness and there's light. They're both separate things, right? They're both very, very different things, very distinct from each other. But then there's morning and there's evening. And when light meets darkness, you get sunrise, all the colors you can possibly imagine bursting forth together. God paints with all of the colors. It's like he's, he's separating it all out, he's getting it all ready, and then he begins to paint something which was good on its own, but together, beautiful. Sunrise, sunset, I mean, loads of people paint the sky. But most people choose those moments of the day, don't they, to capture, because it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. God paints with all of the colors. Then we're told that God uh, creates the, the water and separates the waters above from the waters below. So he creates uh, the, the, the sea, and he creates the sky, and that's good. And yet there's this place, isn't there, where the sea and the sky meet, and we call that the, the horizon, as far as the eye can see. And since the dawn of time, the horizon has fascinated us as human beings. That, that end point of our vision, what lies beyond there? It's a metaphor, the horizon, isn't it? For dreams and hopes and opportunities and, and possibilities. The sea is good, the sky is good, but when they come together, something happens. Then God creates the land and the sea, and the land is good, and the sea is good, but where the sea meets the land, we call that beach. 
And that's really good. Any surfers here? Any sandcastle builders? Any coastal path walkers? The, the beaches of this world are beautiful places. We went to one beach on holiday in Greece this year. And we moved to tears just by being there, just by the beauty of it. They're both good, but together, God paints with, with all the colors. And then having formed the world, formed the light and the darkness, time, and then space and creation, God goes about filling the world. So he fills the skies with, with all kinds of, of creatures, with birds, eagles, and sparrows. I'm not very good on birds, you'll have to help me. And other birds that we can think of and mention. Chaffinches, thank you for that, chaffinches. Of the three birds we could mention, eagles, sparrows, and chaffinches. But he does, he fills the skies with parrots and pelicans and all these living creatures, each of them unique and diverse and colorful. And then he, he, he fills the land with all kinds of vegetation, with oak trees and carrots and what else grows? Somebody help me quick. Sprouts. <laughs> Oak trees, carrots, and sprouts. Okay, good. That's great. I'm doing a, um, a gratitude challenge at the moment. I want to be a more positive person. So I'm trying to write down three things every day I'm grateful for. So we're going to go Oak trees, carrots, and sprouts today. Okay, that's good. Uh, so yes, God is, is filling the sea and the land. Oh, the sea, actually. Yeah. Oh, heck. Right, okay. Um, killer whales and... Dolphins, that's a good one, thank you, and seahorses, and battered cod, and trout, and life, it breathes, it teems with life. God paints with all the colors. You've seen those Blue Planet episodes where they really go down into the depths of the world, they find these odd creatures with gangly bits that light up so they can see in the dark. I think God had great fun. It was good. But then he steps back and he sees it all in all of its diversity. All distinct and yet dependent on each other. All sort of separate and yet essential. And he says, now that, that's very good. So it makes perfect sense to me that when this God who built himself a universe comes to our world and builds himself a church, he's going to want to paint with all the colors. Our world is not the world. Our church is not the church. It is so much bigger. I don't know if there's any um, Disney fans in. Pocahontas, you know this? Yeah, there's a song in, in Pocahontas. We used to have it on a CD in the car that we used to play when we were driving around. You think the only people who are people are the people who walk and think like you. It's actually profound, that. Before we move on, that is. That's actually profound. But if you walk the footsteps of a stranger, you'll learn things you never knew. Have you ever heard the wolf cry to the blue corn moon or ask the grinning bobcat why he grinned? Can you sing with all the colors of the mountain? Can you paint with all the colors of the wind? These words sung, of course, to uh, people that were trying to take the land. And she ends the song with these words. 
You can own the earth and still all you'll own is earth until you can paint with all the colors of the wind. We follow a Jesus who is building a church. We follow a God who calls us, who created us, who paints with all the colors. I've got other sheep, Jesus says. Not of this nation, not of this place, not of this culture, not even of this time period. And I must go and get them. I must go and call them also. And then one day, they'll listen to my voice, and one day there will be one flock and one shepherd. See, the truth is that sometimes we can look at our world and we see how broken it is. We see how damaged it is. Even sometimes, as we've mentioned this morning, even sometimes the church that bears his name can leave scars and pain. We're human. We get it wrong time and time again. And part of the Bible's answer to the problem of the pain we see around us is that this is not the world that God made. It's not how he wanted it to be. It's our selfish choices. It's our sin. It's the fact that we've fallen out of relationship with him. This is why the world is so broken. But it's not only that. The other half of the answer is that this world is not the way that God intends to leave it. God will one day come and, and sort all of this out. I want to give you one quick um, picture of this church that Jesus came to build these other sheep, and then we'll pray together. Uh, in a place called Philippi, the Apostle Paul uh, goes, now, the early church carry this mission. You guys are going to go right to the ends of the earth, uh, and you're going to invite everybody to, to follow Jesus. That's end of Luke, that's the start of Acts chapter 1. Interestingly, it takes up until chapter 15 for them to have this big sort of council where they work out what we're going to do with the Gentiles then, which is the rest of the known world. And they have this council and thankfully they're led by the Holy Spirit to say we, we don't think we should be making it hard for people to enter the kingdom. Thank God that that was the conclusion, literally. Uh, and so then they go, then they scatter. In chapter 16, Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, will you come over to Macedonia and help us. And so the next day, Paul wants to follow the voice of the shepherd, so he, he gets up and he goes there. They go to the place of prayer, and there down at the river, there is a woman. She's a, a clearly a God-fearer, clearly somebody who's, who's seeking God. She's in the place of prayer, but the Lord opens her heart to the full message of the kingdom, the full message of, of Jesus. Her name was Lydia, and she gets saved. Now, Lydia is kind of an anomaly in, in the early world. She was a very successful business person, which uh, sadly back then it was very difficult for a woman to hold her own in the business world, but she traded purple cloth, uh, so she was very wealthy. Uh, later on, we learned that the church is hosted in Lydia's house, and the fact that it's called Lydia's house probably means that she was single. So you've got a single successful businesswoman whose heart is opened to the message of the gospel. Later, while they're in Philippi, they're out preaching, and there's a slave girl there who's possessed by an evil spirit, and by that spirit, she, she tells people's fortunes. And Paul just has enough of this, has enough of her disrupting them, trying to share the gospel with people, and so he casts the evil spirit out of the girl, and for the first time, as far as we know in her life, she's, she's set free from that spiritual oppression and bondage. So already, you've got a church in Philippi 
where you've got a very successful, very wealthy single woman, and now there's a slave girl, no status, no rank, no importance, kind of bound up in the occult in her past, working, living together. Amazing. But because they've done this publicly and the owners of the slave girl can't make any more money, they're furious with Paul, and so they have him locked up, have him chucked into jail. So he's in jail in, in Philippi. That night they're, they're singing hymns. The jail is shaken, their chains come off, uh, and the jailer is about to take his own life because that's what's going to happen to him because if you're looking after a prisoner and they escape, then their punishment falls on you. So he thinks that's it. And Paul shouts, don't kill yourself, we're, we're still here. And that night, the jailer becomes a Christian as well, and he and his whole household uh, are baptized. So here in Philippi, we've got a church of this family who basically represent Rome, Mr. Rome, the kind of a former centurion, now a prison runner. You've got a slave girl who's been set free from an evil spirit, and a successful business owner, all living and working together to represent Jesus and to share the love of Jesus in Philippi. Wouldn't you love to be at one of those church meetings? That would have been fantastic to have been there. God paints with all the colors. All of them. His church is always meant to be a diverse mix. Because see, when grace touches each of these lives and people meet with Jesus, then hope comes, love comes, truth comes. You could be from anywhere. You can have been involved in anything. And this message is for you. There is a voice which calls to you. How did Paul feel about this church in Philippi? Was it the sort of the embarrassment of his ministry? Was it this problem church? You know, Paul, who grew up um, as a good Jewish boy then was trained in the Jewish race, but went on to become a Pharisee, one of the things he would have prayed every single morning was, God, thank you that you've not made me a woman, a Greek, or a slave. And he's just planted a church in Philippi full of women, Greeks, and slaves. Praise God. That's what grace does to a heart. What grace does. This is how he felt about that church. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. But now get this. Because of your partnership. These weren't just punters to Paul's message. Now they're working with Paul. Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is just the beginning. This is just the start of what Jesus is doing. Paul says, when I think about you, I have to pray for you. And when I pray for you, I have to smile. I always pray with joy. And while we're talking about joy in a later chapter, he knows how difficult it is for different people from different places to, to get on together. So he says, listen, would you make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind? And he takes them as Paul so often takes us back to Jesus. And says, if you want to work out what it means to live together with different ideas, different cultures, different experiences, different hopes and dreams and fears and pain, what does it mean to walk together? 
Just follow Jesus, who being in very nature God, let there be light. Didn't consider equality with God something to be exploited for his own advantage. Made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. What do you think that meant to the slave girl? He identifies with you. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death. But Paul is not done yet. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You ever tried to do a jigsaw without seeing the picture on the box before you start? It's really difficult. You get yourself into a real mess. You ought to know, if you're following Jesus, if you want to be part of his church, the picture at the end is every tongue, every knee, every tribe and there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd and you and I get to be part of that. Which requires for us a whole other way of seeing, doesn't it? The people you think are people are people you think are like you. We've got to stop that. We've got to allow this love of Jesus to wash our eyes until we see differently, to wash our hearts, until we love differently, to wash our minds, until we think differently, until our mindset is like that of Christ Jesus. Shall we pray together?